We are starting a new series this morning in the, as it says on the cover of your bulletin, in the letter of First Peter. And Peter, this, this Peter means Peter the Apostle, um, one of the 12 apostles who knew Jesus very, you might say the chief apostle. And he wrote two letters in your New Testament to the church of his day. But I would say this to you, sort of the premise of, my, of this series of messages as we look through this book together over the next um, six or seven weeks that the church in his day was not too much different than our own in this sense, that it existed in a culture that is the church that he helped found and uh, the other apostles founded in, in what he's writing to, that was existed in a culture whose value system was very different from the value system uh, that had, was at the heart of the church experience. And not only was the church have a very different value system, but the culture around it opposed it um, greatly. In fact, not only opposed the, the, the growth and development of the early church, but even persecuted uh, the church uh, all the way to the point where Peter himself uh, was uh, murdered by uh, the authorities not long after he wrote this book. But the other thing we can, those of you who know the story of the Apostle Peter uh, in the scriptures, you know that he knew a, fa- a thing or two about failure in his own life, uh, and he also knew or two or thing about suffering in his own life. But he also knew, and you see this come out in this book, um, something about the power of God, uh, about forgiveness of sin, and about God's grace. And these two ideas... All right, this is sort of an introduction to this book. Both suffering, right? Failure, particularly suffering, and the grace of God and how they work together really form the basis of this book uh, and are the heart of my message uh, this morning and a message titled, A Proven Faith. What does it take, right, for you and I who live in a very more sophisticated culture than, let's say, they did in the first century, but in many ways a culture whose ideas, whose value systems are increasingly uh, different than the value systems, let's say, of you or I or people of faith, of the body of Christ. What does it mean to actually not only want to survive in the world, but to really thrive in this world, to actually be... Um, to make your faith my faith, to make a difference, to be a messenger, so to speak, in the world around us. That's what um, this book is really about. In this first message, I've titled A Proven Faith. How does grace and suffering come together in our lives to develop and mature our faith? So if you have a copy of the Bible, 1 Peter, it's near the end of your old, or your, excuse me, of your New Testament, right near the end past the Gospels and a lot of those letters, and you'll get... Um, heading in the direction of the book of Revelation, you'll find two letters, First and Second Peter. We'll read the first 12 verses as an introduction of Peter, uh, chapter 1, verses 1 through 12. Follow along as I read. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect, exiles scattered throughout the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, modern-day Turkey for the most part, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with his blood. Grace and peace be yours in abundance. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope 
through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all this, you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold which perishes, even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy, for you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation... The prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you searched intently and with the greatest care trying to find out the time and circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of the Messiah and the glories that would follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves but you when they spoke of the things that have now been told you by those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Even angels long to look into these things. First thing that I think the Apostle Peter wants to acknowledge, right, to these struggling, very challenged, right, people who were under not only opposition, but I would even say persecution, right? The, the Roman Empire was seeking to stamp out, if you know the history of the early church, stamp out this church. The first thing he wants to say to them, really to affirm to them, right? Before they can have ears to hear, he wants to affirm something, and I want to affirm it to you uh, and to us as a congregation. That is, life is difficult, right? Life is difficult. Difficult. Now, people, I don't know, perhaps not you because you're here this morning, but many people that I talk to, right, we're talking about being messengers, they stay away from the church because they think that the church is a place, this is what I've heard from people, even people in my own family or extended family, that the church, the whole idea of being a Christian and, 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 and giving your life to God, it's very simplistic. It's unrealistic. You know, people go to church because they're looking for an escape. Religion, maybe, but certainly the Christian religion too, it's escapist, right? The reason you go to church, Rob, the reason some of you go to church is you need a crutch, really. What you're looking for is some kind of pacifier from a very difficult life, from the harsh realities of everyday life. That's why people go to church. But I'm smarter than that. I'm more sophisticated than that. Now, that's, that's been said for a long time, but I still hear that, right? We have a hard time. People of faith have a hard time, you know, dealing, facing uh, the real world. But I would say this, if you didn't know that, the Bible um, says virtually the exact opposite, right? The Bible doesn't say that at all. The Bible doesn't say that religion is a place to, to bury your head in the sand, that you and I are supposed to pretend that the world is something other than it is, like it's a fairy tale. Not at all. In fact, what Peter wants to say is this, that suffering in your life, trials in your life, difficulties in your life are not a contradiction to your faith. They're actually an affirmation of your faith faith. Verse 6, right? In this, right, he talks about this great salvation of these first five verses, you greatly rejoice 
for now you may have had to suffer trials of many kinds, right? It doesn't say you might end up screwing your life up. You might end up, you know, running your life off into a ditch and you might have hard times. He says, no, listen, you had to suffer trials of many kinds. Saying, listen, guys, I want to say something to you. The fact that the word life is difficult and maybe even increasingly difficult as a follower of Jesus Christ because you're going out into the world trying to profess to live out a, the faith that God is in your life and God has hope for the world and you seem to be getting the door slammed in your face and you're getting, you know, let's say, a dis, you know, difficulties and trials and even persecution. You're saying, listen, this is not a sign that you're doing the wrong thing. It's an affirmation of your faith. For our faith to be resilient enough, okay, to actually engage a troubled world, that's what the church is here for, right? I mean, heaven, the glories, the streets of gold, you know, that's later, right? The purpose of the church, the reason we're here today and the church exists, as imperfect as it is, is to be a beachhead in a broken world where lives are falling apart, where things are backwards, where things are broken, to bring hope, to bring healing, to bring God's love to the world. That's the whole point of, the, of being a Christian, of being the church. And for our faith, not only my faith and your faith, but the faith of this church, to be resilient enough to engage a troubled world, listen, it needs to be purified. It needs to be stress-tested. God allows suffering in your life not to punish you. You got bad theology if you think that. You know, this happened. My kid got sick. My, I really, I lost my job. You know, the sky is falling. God must be angry with me. God must be mad at me. God is punishing me. Listen, that's very, very backward theology. The Bible doesn't say that at all. God allows suffering in your life, Peter's saying, listen, not to punish you, but to help you mature, right? Because that's why he uses this metaphor of a new birth, saying, listen, a new birth means God has opened up your whole life, but you need to mature, you need to grow, right? If I'm really going to make a difference in the world around me, that's what he's saying. You cannot learn who you are without suffering. You will never become who you are without suffering because it takes suffering to, man, to, to confront your pride, to confront your ego, to confront your self-sufficiency. And God allows it in your life so that you and I will learn not to depend on ourselves, but to depend on him because that's where the power of God comes to play, right? That's what Peter's trying to say. It will either, right, you had to suffer grief of all kinds of trials. It will either deepen you or it will harden you, right? It's up to you. It will deepen you or it will harden you. Suffering and grace go together as it does in verse 11 when it talks about Christ. As the spirit of Christ was in them, speaking of the prophets, pointing when he predicted the sufferings of the Messiah and the glories that would follow in what is true of Jesus Christ, right? He, for the joy that was before him, he endured the cross and suffered the shame because of you, because of me. What is true of Jesus, the sufferings will lead to glory is true of you and me if we have eyes to see it. God allows suffering in your life not to punish you, but to help you. I was in, I spent three days this last week um, in Las Vegas 
with a group of pastors. It's not meant to be the beginning of a joke, but I know it sounds like one, okay? For the record, we didn't go to the strip, okay? That's not why we were there. Um, but what we were doing there was uh, meeting with a, uh, a, a pastor of one of the largest churches here. And um, it was a, just a great experience. It was two days, uh, uh, kind of a day with this pastor, really just 15 of us in his home, and then a day uh, with his uh, executive team at his church. Now, this is one of the largest churches in the country, right? And by all measures, if you were to look at this church, you know, by every measure that people care to measure church growth and church health, you'd say they're doing it. You know, we're going to baptize today, I think, a dozen people. Great. Awesome. They baptized in 2017 600 people, okay? It's pretty amazing. Now, but this is what he said to us, right? So there's this hungry little pastor sitting in his living room. He said, listen, guys, let me tell you something. Um, let me disabuse you of the idea that any of this is easy. He said, sharing confidence, you know, sharing privately, I should say confidence because I'm going to share it, but it wasn't, he, he was just sharing with us heart to heart. He said, you know, I had a, um, I had a, a, you know, one of my occasional meltdowns with God just about a week ago. And it was just one of those moments. And I said to God, he was just sharing with us, he said, God, why is this so stinking hard? He goes, I just would love for just one season, he's been doing this for 18 years, just one season where I can sort of ride downhill. Right? That's what he said. He said, but I just sat there in my sort of, you know, self-pity. You know, it dawned on me, right? It's not like God spoke to him verbally, but he just said, it dawned on me. That God said, listen, you know, there are churches, even in our city, in Las Vegas, who are moving a lot slower. And you could, if you want to, you can take your foot off the accelerator. You can relax if you want to. But he said to myself, you know what? I want to be in the fight for people who are far from God. That's, what, that's kind of their mission statement. And as I just sat there, I said, no, God, I want to be in the fight. Because isn't there, is there anything more important to live for than that, right? God allows suffering in your life, God allows suffering in your church to help us mature. To live as a Christian in this world, to be a church that wants to be in the fight. It's difficult, but you need a proven faith. That's what he's saying. These have come. You think about the trial in your life. You think about the difficulty in your life. You think about the challenge and what it means to be a church in, this, in our day. These have come because God's mad at you. No. So that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold which perishes, even though refined by fire. Do you ever feel like your life, like you are literally in the fire, in a manner of speaking? I feel like my marriage is in the fire. I feel like my, my, my career is in the fire. I feel like my, my life is in the fire, right? Even though refined by fire may result, it's the maturity, in praise in glory. In, uh, listen, that's the opposite 
of escapism, right? It's about embracing those trials and deepening your dependence on the person and the power of God. The great um, Jonathan, uh, 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 um, John Newton, the guy who wrote Amazing Grace, you know, a great pastor of the 17th century, but also a um, slave, former slave trader, said these words. Everything is necessary that God sends. Nothing can be necessary that he withholds. Everything is necessary that God sends, and nothing can be necessary that he withholds. In other words, if it's in your life, you need it, even if it's bad. And if it's not in your life, you don't need it, need it even though you think you do. Right? Life is difficult. But it's about the maturity of your faith. But the heart of this passage is about what it takes to face those, dif- not only to face those difficulties, but to respond to them, right? I want to be a someone who not only can face life as it really is, but I want to be able to have the power of God so I can go into a broken world, right? Isn't that amazing? You saw some of that testimony, you know? The church, this broken down, oppressed, and a, 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 a persecuted thing started uh, in the first century. By the year, in 300 years, the church of Jesus Christ covered much of the Roman Empire. Tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of people, nobody had nice buildings in, 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 in the first century, were taking place. They started all the great hospitals, you know, all the cities in the, in the, in the Roman Empire that were, I mean, whole, you know, hundreds of thousands of people, plagues, disease, were happening rampantly out in this season of our history. And everyone headed for the hills except these people called followers of Jesus. And they stayed. And they made a difference. And they changed the world. Life is difficult. Second thing Peter wants to say is it all comes down to grace. That's really what this passage is is really about. Theologians say of the first five verses, I read them, my goodness, it could be a whole series of messages, right? You know, in his great mercy, he has given us a new birth into a living hope from the resurrection of Jesus, an inheritance that's kept in heaven. I mean, and they call this in theological uh, speak the golden chain. And what they mean by that is all systematic theology, all the great teachings of the New Testament, you know, all 27 books of the New Testament, the Gospels and all the writings, they're all inside the first five verses of this passage. That's what they're saying. And what he's essentially saying here in this passage is, what is the new birth? Some of you have heard that. He has given us a new birth to be born again. It's a decisive transformation of life. It's a metaphor. It's an analogy that's lived out. Don't miss this. Verse 3. Out of God's mercy. Right? Praise be to God and Father of our Lord Jesus. Listen, Peter can write with such enthusiasm because if anybody knew failure, it was Peter. If anybody knew suffering, it was Peter. And God forgave him, and it was about, not about his merit, 
What does he say as this passage ends? Concerning this salvation, verse 10, the prophets who spoke, the people, all the guys in the Old Testament, the strange names, the prophets who spoke of the grace, underline this if you underline her, that was to come to you. He says, listen, let me tell you what's so amazing. What does it mean to be a new birth? It's a decisive transformation of life that is not lived according to some moral code. It's not, you know, it's, it, listen, the grace of God is not a teaching. It's not the Ten Commandments. It's not the Sermon on the Mount. That's not the grace of God. The, 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 the grace of God is an event the resurrection of Jesus. It's God sending his son into the world to die for your sins and he comes to you and offers you grace and offers you forgiveness. That's what Peter's saying. That's the decisive moment. It's, um, uh, I heard this preacher say this, that grace is, what is grace? He said grace is, um, sometimes we look at grace as like a handout, Right? Like someone's, someone's uh, there's a homeless person and you give them a handout. Imagine that you're that homeless person and God has given you something for free, something you need. He says, I don't think that's a good description of grace. Grace isn't receiving a handout simply because you need it. Grace is like receiving a handout from someone from whom someone that you've harmed their family, Right? You, not only is this guy giving you something that you don't deserve for free, but you've actually harmed his family and then he's giving it to you anyway. I thought that was a great description of what God's grace is. The Bible says this, Romans 5 eight. While we were yet sinners, right? Jesus Christ died for us, right? The people who are being baptized, what is Baptism. It's not a merit badge, right? It's the opposite of a merit badge. Sometimes people think that. Well, my, my cousin, my brother's getting baptized. It's a merit badge. They've, you know, they've done what was necessary to be accepted by God. They've, you know, they got their merit badge. That's not what the baptism is. It's the opposite. It's not a marriage badge. It's an illustration of God's grace. When folks get in that, in that water, what they're saying is, listen, I've, grace has come to me. And Jesus died for me and he rose for me and I just want to publicly let you know what God has done for me. That's what baptism is. And it's only as the grace of God gets a deeper hold of your life and my life that will ever be of any use to a troubled and broken world. That's what Peter's talking about. That's what this series is about. What he offers us. The truth is this. If you and I, whether you're a Christian or not, take a hard look at our own sinfulness. See, some of us don't even think we're sinners. We take a hard look at the fact that we are truly in rebellion against God. We would never say it out loud, but many of us, Christians and non-Christians, basically say, listen, I'll run my life on my own. I don't need you, right? This is really what sin is, independence from God. The truth is, God owes us, he doesn't owe us a nice life. Right? Sometimes people say that to me. What God truly owes us, if we really understand the truth, we're not in, our head's not in the sand, what God owes us is condemnation and death. That's what he owes us. 
because all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. All of us have said in our own way, I'll do life on my own. I don't need you. No, thank you. But what he offers us, this is what's so amazing. It's, it's the guy offering you something who you've harmed his family. What he offers us is forgiveness and new life. The great Tim Keller said these words. Listen carefully. Unless you see what he really owes you, you'll never have your heart broken by what he has given you. This is what Peter's trying to say, right? The, 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 the problem with many of us is we don't really understand the gospel. The reason there's a lot of people, the world is full of people who, are, who have rejected the Christian message because they have never really understood what it is. It's not, a, it's, not a, it's, not, uh, it's not achieving the Ten Commandments. It's not a moral code. It's not, you know, meet, God will meet you halfway. It's not bootstrapping yourself to acceptance for God. That's not what it is. It's while you were yet a sinner, while I am yet a sinner, Christ came to you, right? In his mercy, he has given us a new birth and a living hope, a whole new reason to live. That's what it is, right? Now, what I love about this passage at the very end is what it says about the prophets. Peter's trying to, Peter's trying to encourage people, even who are Christians, to really get a better appreciation of what changes them, which is God's grace. Listen, guys, the prophets have looked into, even the angels have longed to see what you and I often overlook or we simply miss, Right? So my question to you as we close and, and, and open this series is, what do you see, right? What do you see? Concerning this salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you searched intently with the greatest care to try to understand what in the world does this mean, even though we're speaking this truth as prophets, that the Messiah is going to suffer. They didn't know what it meant. Even the angels looked into it because they did not understand that God would send his son into a rebellious, thankless, thumb there, nose at him God while we were yet sinners and say, I love you, I died for you, I want to give you new life. It's the forgiveness of sin. They didn't understand it. And Peter's saying, do you understand it? Do I understand it? We live in a world full of people who have never looked harder. Let me just say this to you. If you're in this room today and you said, you know, my whole life, what I thought Christianity was, man, I just thought it was... I thought it was the Ten Commandments. I thought it was simply getting your act together, getting to a place where you became acceptable to God. It's like Santa Claus. He's checking off a list. Have you, you know, gotten your act together? You will never get your act together. That's what Peter's saying. And God doesn't expect you to get your act together. What he he offers you is just simply an honesty that life is difficult, an honesty that you are all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Say, listen, I'm going to trade in my self-sufficient um, uh, strategy for living, and I'm going to trust the living God to give me the forgiveness of sin and a whole new quality of life that is lived out of His mercy, out of His grace. That's what it means. And if, let me tell you, if you've never received that, you can receive it in the quiet of your own seat, in the quiet of your own heart. 30 years ago, 
I did. The Bible, the Bible language for it is this. If we confess with our mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead, we can be saved. Nothing in there about the Ten Commandments, nothing in there about becoming a member of a church, right? What it means is this. You do you trust, put your true faith and trust in what God has done, the rescuing work of Jesus. You can do that in the privacy of your own seat. But for the rest of us, right, as a church, it's about great going deeper into our lives, right? Only when the gospel strikes you deep into your heart will you be able to see the world the way that it is, right? No sunshine, no, you know, um, sugar coating. Only when the gospel sinks deeply into your heart, living out of God's mercy, will you be able to look at the world for what it is and still have compassion on it, right? Where you'll be able to say, listen, because God has so met the needs in my life, I can go to my neighbor who's far from God and point them to Jesus. I can get real about, you know, trying to help uh, the poverty in our city. Listen, I can go to at one of the many, you know, uh, 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 broken parts of the world and try to make a difference because God has already met my need. That's what we're talking about. That's what this is all about. Let me close with one verse. Second, uh, or Titus chapter 2. Titus chapter 2, verse 11 through 14. This is, what, this is what I must all be thinking about. It's all about, it all comes down to God's grace. For the grace of God has appeared. Say it appears. It's not a teaching. It's not, a, it's not, it's not five principles. It's an event, the resurrection of Jesus. It's a gift. For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people, right? No qualification. It teaches us, watch this just carefully, to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age while we wait for the blessed hope the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, in case you missed it, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify him for himself a people that are his very own. Purifying happens through this maturity of faith that we're talking about. Eager, watch this, to do what is good. What's he saying? Listen. It's the, well, I'm saved by God's grace, but I'm, I'm, uh, I'm, 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 uh, I, I grow up because of the law. I grow up because of fear. I grow up because of guilt. I grow up because, you know, someone's telling me this is what I need to do. No, that's not what he says. The only motivator for you and I to be able to truly go into a broken world and to really make a difference from your neighbor to a broken city to a refugee crisis to uh, the school system to listen, uh, uh, the, 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 grand, the, the, the world all around us that needs God, the only motivator is a deeper appreciation of God's grace. That's what he's saying. And that's what I'm uh, encouraging all of us to think about, to do. We are available to meet the world's and the local world's deepest needs because our deepest needs have been met. That's what that's saying.
Amen? Uh, Stand with me. Let's pray. Let me say a couple things before I send you out as we begin this series. Just one to remind you what, what, what Sherwin already said. Very important night for us Tuesday to put forth these proposals um, and to vote on the finance for these proposals. So there's a, just, it's basically a one, or, one transaction meeting or, or uh, these two transactions that are part of the same proposal. Uh, so we want to encourage you to be a part of that. Let me also say, um, if you're someone here who says, you know, I, I've never received God's grace. I've never truly appreciated. I've never accepted that grace comes to me. All I do is receive it. Let me tell you something. Um, all you need to do is ask for it. And if you want to talk about it, I'll talk to you about it. Any of our leaders will talk to you about it. The person that brought you will talk to you about it. We want to help you make a decision about the most important decision you'll ever make, which is to receive the grace of God in your life, okay? So uh, let's talk about it. Let us help you take a next step. Let me also say, guys, uh, in this room, we're gonna, uh, this book, over the next seven weeks, we're gonna go a little bit deeper, as we've done in the last few years, on Thursday mornings. Uh, And if you're interested in being a part of it, it's a crisp 60 minutes of going into God's word. We'll be doing it again starting this Thursday morning, 6.30. Go to bed early on Wednesday. Uh, Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for the opportunity to be here this morning. God, I pray uh, that you would challenge all of us in this room um, uh, to see, Lord, that yes, life is difficult. Yes, being a Christian is difficult. Yes, being a church that matters is difficult. But it all comes down to God's grace. Help us, Lord, to look a little bit harder into your word, to look a little bit harder into your gospel, that we might, that we might not only know in the mercy, that we might not only be able to describe grace, but we might be able to live more fully out of it, that we might truly be, Lord, um, light in this world. We might truly be messengers, Lord, in this world, that we might go forward um, as, you know, baptized believers, so to speak, um, you know, heralding the message that God's grace has come to us and it's available to all. And we just pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.